What's the saying? Beside a good man's a good woman. I never I'm, heard that. I'm behind. <laughs> behind. Yeah, hey, I yeah. let my wife walk first. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we, I mean, most people, most men marry up for sure. Like you we think are all, so? We are all products of that. Yeah, yeah I think so. Sure. I think so. Yeah. My dad definitely married up. My, yeah. Well, my mom was my dad's third wife, and he was 25 years older than her, and he was our landlord. And I used to tell him, stop it. No, I used to say to him, I said, Dad, on paper, you're a terrible guy. Like, could you think about it? Three times married, and he's married the lady who was renting from him who had a kid. But the day my dad closed his eyes and he passed away when I first moved here, I saw pure love. And Mm. he was an example to me of never believing someone's a throwaway and you're not your last decision. And he happened to have been married to two other people, but it took those mistakes, he might call them, to get to my mom. And they had this beautiful love story. So I always tell people when they judge people for their mistakes and bad decisions, be very careful because my mom would have missed out on her greatest love. And the great the dad that I was meant to have, he wasn't my biological dad. He was the dad that I was meant to have. Hold up. Limitless, take a stomach cap, pin in it. I fought the head to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the mission, got me up. Knowing me, I got the key. On the vision, I can trust. Trust. Limitless, take a stomach cap, pin in it. I fought the head to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. On the mission, got me up. Welcome to the pivot. We're so excited to have you. I mean, it's an honor for us, uh, absolutely. Uh, Freddie Flowers, like I, I give you, I can call you hey. by your nicknames uh, today. You just Chan, um, <laughs> and I'm RC. For all our subscribers, we thank you. We appreciate you for everything. Continue to hit the like button. Uh, like Freddie T always says, anybody can podcast, but not everybody can pivot, and that's what we do. We do a show, and I'm excited because I'm from the South. Yeah. Right. I'm from. I was born and raised in New Orleans. Right. I know. It's my second home. I know, and yeah. I also know. You know, you're from the South, yeah. but. Growing up and having opportunities to cut on the TV, you didn't necessarily get to see a lot of Tamron Halls locally. Mm, So what gave you the the vision or what even made you think that becoming who you are now was was possible? Well, it was the most important, the second most important man in my life, which was my stepfather. I remember um, I was in Dallas-Fort Worth and I was getting C's and D's and F's. And uh, I was going through this stage in my life. And I was always uh, in like these gifted and talented programs and these magnet programs, always that. But I was um, a rebel, to say the least. And my dad looked at the TV and he said, if you get your grades up, you could be her. And I look at the TV and there's this woman, this black woman with this beautiful hair, because that's the first thing I remember seeing about her. And she had this very rich and thick and just uh, powerful voice. And her name was Iola Johnson. And she was the first black woman to ever anchor the news in Texas. And at that moment, I saw her and I did see what I could be, you know? And I know it sounds cliche. They said, if you see it, you believe it. And, 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 and for me, that was true. And then years later, once I was on local news, uh, you'll love this, because I ended up, <laughs> there was Drew Pearson, who was the love of my life as a kid. I actually had this picture on my wall. That's how old I am. Um, and her, and I ran over to her to thank her. And she'd seen and heard of me, but then I said, you're the woman that I'm always talking about in this, this story. So I wow. saw it, and it definitely set the course. I didn't know how much pain, though, that that would also include, talking about the pivot, because what I now know she must have experienced based on what I've experienced, it, I, I'm surprised she was even able to make it to that point. 
what, what is some of that pain? I was, I was gonna oh ask, like that, that you have a goal, mm-hmm. but then the journey has to happen. Yeah, like yeah. What, what were some of them painful points? Well, I mean, there's so many, but one in particular, I remember being in local news in Dallas, Fort Worth, and I'd gotten my big gig, the first reporting job. I specifically, remember I was, and for reporting, I was making $45,000. That was a big deal, because I was just out of college. And I was assigned the gang unit. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm a reporter, and I get it, we cover all kinds of things. I'm not a weather person, I'm not a meteorologist, but I cover the tornadoes in Texas. But I was on the gang unit. And I, something told me, like, they think I'm black and I know gang culture. Mm-hmm. So I, like, and, and as I started to investigate and ask questions, sure enough, someone was like, well, you know. And I said, no, I don't know. I actually grew up on a farm. You know more about, I know gang because I watched the movie Colors. Right. That's all I know. <laughs> right. I don't know anybody. I don't know any signs. I know nothing. But instantly, I had to be from what they call the hood, because I don't even like that term. I know that we, again, use it as a term of endearment. I've been in newsrooms, and I know how it's used when mm. we're not in the room. Um, I'm from the hood. I'm a certain type. And then suddenly it became, she's difficult. She's too loud. She's too, 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 too. And so those were the most painful things early on that I didn't know how to respond to, because the minute you know someone thinks you're angry, what do you do? You shrink down. And I started to see myself shrinking down and it started to affect my career. I, my first job, I was like the A1 reporter. And before I knew it, I was the 4 a.m. reporter. Wow. And I started to watch me become the person that they thought they could target and demote. You know, you, you talk about being the, the person they can target and demote. Uh, the one thing about this show is we can be real. Mm-hmm. You're two minorities, mm-hmm. right? Being a woman. Mm-hmm is already going to make it more difficult for you. But being a black woman and being the most marginalized. It's the loneliest place in a newsroom because you do look toward your white female colleagues for support. And so many times they were the facilitators. So a white male news director would say, ah, well, put her on the gang unit. And then the assistant news director, who was a white female, because a lot of white females started to move up in the executive ranks. So you're thinking, okay, great. I have someone who will understand this journey. But then they would come to you. And there's one that comes to mind in particular who um, had a lot of power, but didn't use it to support me and other women of color. And I wasn't the only woman of color. I was the only black woman, but we're in Texas. So we had um, my, uh, uh, one of my colleagues was an Asian American woman and a Latin American woman. And I felt that, and I still feel that she was more preoccupied with getting in the C-suite than helping the female allies who were not white women. Mm -hmm. And it didn't, you know, when I look back at it now, I wonder, did it make me bitter at the time? I don't think so. I think it made my pivot so much more focused. I'm a person that, you know, I tell people all the time, if I keep looking at the roadblocks, I can't see the road. Mm. And I believe that. And I think at that time, I saw her as a roadblock, but she was going to be one that I was going to roll over. And Mm. I don't say this to be petty or mean. She's not in the business anymore. And she has to watch me and wonder what maybe we could have built together had we been an ally. How many shows and how many things could we have done together? But uh, I don't think she saw me as an ally because I'm a black woman. It's so, it's so funny. You start to, you know, when they was like, hey, Tamron Hall is going to be on the show. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I got to do my research. You know, you can't, you, you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't get on an interview with a world-class interviewer and not, <laughs> and not have nothing. But I had an opportunity to talk to L. Duncan mm-hmm. about you, you know, because wow. I did want to talk to 
you know, the, the other black women I, I knew in the business. And she's like, you know, she said one thing about Tamron is she's very intentional about paving the way, very intentional about giving back. Are some of the situations you dealt with, did those things, are those the things that have made you be uh, very poignant about helping others that come behind you? Yeah, you know, and I talk with Elle a lot about this. And for example, when I became the first black woman to anchor the Today Show in the 62 years of this show, you know, at the time, you know, it was a situation where I wasn't embarrassed because I was, I didn't want that to be my calling card. I didn't want, like I was talking to Mickey Guy the other day. She's a brilliant performer. We are so proud to be the first black women to do these things, but you don't want that to allow people to say that's all you have to offer. Okay. And so for me, when I was today show, the first black woman, and, and I hope uh, leaving an impact on the industry, my departure in the way it happened and learning, basically I was walking on air and I was learning in real time that I would be taken off for someone that was very controversial and ended up ironically being taken off because she thought it was okay to be in blackface. Right, um, oh, it was like only a year or yeah, so Yeah, it was after. not even that, okay. but, but to your point of your question, being intentional about paving the way, the day I learned I was going to leave that show or that I would be taken off that show, I went home and I said, I have to get back up because if there are any black women who look at me who are in college right now saying, I want to be that, and I stay down, what chance do they have? And so I was so intentional in my pivot there because I, I, I said, I can't let them see me fail. I cannot. And I kept thinking about students at Temple University, my alma mater, how all of the young women who were aspiring to be me, and they see it happen to me and they think, this industry hasn't changed and I, I don't stand a chance if Tamron Hall can't do it. So I kept that in my mind. I kept that in my hiring process. I have like 250 people who are a part of my show, keep the engine running. Majority of them are women. Most are women of color. And that doesn't mean I eliminate anyone because I want our show to be great. And to be great, you have to have diversity. But I say often of black women, when we're let in the room, we let everybody in the room. Mm -hmm. But when others in the room, they often don't let us. So I've been intentional in making sure it's inclusive of men, of women, LGBTQ+, um, because I think that is the greatness of a black woman and that when we set a table, we truly do, I believe, set it for more people. And that's been the benefit of it. And, and I want you to be cocky now. I'm a little bit. Why you? Like, <laughs> Why you know me? what I'm saying? Like, you're saying the first part, 62 yeah. years, like, and you you seem very yeah. modest, but you, ha you have something different to be. Yeah. I've watched you for years. Thank you. But you were something different than other people that tried to pave the way, and you paved the way. I don't think so. I think it's timing. You know what I mean? I think it's timing, because um, I remember being in college, and my professor said, if you think you're just going to walk in and get your first TV job, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, watch me. And she mentors me, and I still love her to this day, but it was a glorious thing to walk back and be like, I got the job! She was like, oh my God! You know, and then when I became the Today Show, I'm like, ah! She was like, oh, got really? Got another one. I did my whole magazine. day, ah! She was like, get out of here, kid. Um, but I think we can all say, you can have hard, you work hard, you can be focused, you can be determined, but so much of life is an unknown variable. There are so many times that I think about the other kids from Luling, Texas, or the other kids in Stop Six, Fort Worth, which is where I was raised much of my life, who went to Dunbar Middle School, who went to Poly High School, and they're not here, but that doesn't mean they could not have been or that they weren't as good. You know, life is 
so much about luck and timing. Um, When I was in the room, I was always going to shoot my shot. That's why Hamilton is my, I'm not giving away my shot. I was never going to give away my shot. But why I ended up or how I ended up in the rooms, I can't say. I think it's luck. I think it's God. I think it's destiny. I do believe this was my destiny. But the wheels were put on the car by my mom, by my grandfather, who had a second grade education, who couldn't read, but I make my living. I pay my bills with words. So I do, I, I, I'm cocky about my day to day. I know I am good at what I do. You're very intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't allow those doors to stay closed for long. And now you have a, a, a daytime Emmy winning. Two. Two. 2028, 2022. You feel me? And she was the first again. So another first. That, that intent, you know what I'm saying? So it's hard for me to, to, to really agree with you yeah. when you say it's luck. I love that you say that, but think about right now, there are children around us. You're not able to pick who you're born to. Hmm. You're not able to pick the zip code that you go home to. My son right now goes to a private school, right? But in reality, there are kids his age right now who have to go to the school that's in their area and people then assign something to them, right? And so for me, there has to be some layer of luck and faith because we don't get to pick our team that we're born into. You come out of that hospital to a mom who is struggling or a dad who has been put into a system that is designed to break you, what are you going to inherit? You know, and I just feel like that's a big reason I talk a lot about education. And that's a big reason that's a big part of my platform because you don't get to pick your school. You're in your, we have parents right now who went to jail because they said, I can't let my kid go to school in this neighborhood. So I'm gonna let you go to your aunt's house or your cousin's house. And we're gonna use that address so that you can go to the good school. Mm -hmm. That kid did nothing wrong. But the good school is not accessible. So through the luck of the draw, they end up in a program like I did, like junior achievement, or you end up with somebody who says, let me mentor you, or like me, my uh, English teacher told me to apply for this $500 scholarship that paid for my books my first year. You know, so you end up meeting people through luck. Right. Have you ever heard of the uh, the Monopoly study? No. Uh, Where they, uh, they take just random students. I forget what university, but they take random students. And it's a game of Monopoly. But they, they, they took the, the white kids and they gave them one dice or one die. And then they gave them, um, say, gave some kids a lot of money and some kids a little money. Yeah. So they were trying to teach them if you're born to a certain, you know, born to certain family, yeah. certain demographic, that will decide or determine your future. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think it's a good thing for most people out there to look at. Look, you can look it up on YouTube. I think it's, and I will, it's, because it's like, listen. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're given 50 yards ahead of me and I'm expected to catch up, I might have the be born with exceptional speed or I might not be. But the bottom line is you were given a jump. 
And so for me, I have to assume some of it is luck because I know kids I grew up with who were smarter, who were uh, probably would have been better broadcasters than me, who had better personalities, whatever the betters are. I would be kidding you to say I don't know people with better, but they didn't get the shot. Now, the counter to that is that some people do get a shot and they blow it. Right. We've all seen people who get that shot. You know, man, you blew that. You, you didn't work hard. You know, Michelle Obama talks about putting your head down and doing the work. I have some young people that I've mentored and I'm like, wait, wait, what? You, you showed up late? Wait, what? You right. didn't do your homework? My pet peeve, I love that you started with, I did my homework. My pet peeve was when I sit down for interviews and people are like, so where are you from? Right. And I've had uh, <laughs> interns or uh, young reporters do that. And I'm like, that's a basic Google search. So it's, it is twofold. I think it's luck. Absolutely, because you don't get to pick how you start the game. But you can control some of the levers. So you can go to the gym more than someone else. You can read as I do constantly. You can seize the moment. I wrote my second, my first novel in the middle of a pandemic, you know, because I said, I have to diversify. I have to make my brand bigger. And I want to write this novel to prove to others that I can and prove to myself. Can but I think it's tricky. Oh, the book is called As the Wicked Watch. It was inspired by, you didn't Google that? I did, actually. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, you know what? I, I could have. He had to let me get a question off. I, I could have set it up, but sometimes you have to ask the questions to the answers you know. <laughs> Because it's for the people. I love that. <laughs> I love that because you're the people's host. And that's what counts. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I, um, As the Wicked Watch is the novel that I wrote. It was inspired by uh, my years of reporting. And there's a character, Jordan Manning. She's named after Michael Jordan, Peyton Manning, because I thought, what are the two polar opposites, both in race and in profession? Um, but both ethically really put their hearts into their sport. Um, it's based in Chicago. It's about a missing young black girl and this reporter searching for answers. I just finished the second one of the series. I turned my book in and my book publisher said to me, oh my God, I can't believe you finished this so fast. That's the hard work. I love when I'm underestimated, even by the people who get commission off of what I do, and I exceed. So it's a both. It is definitely, though, the hard work, and I you cannot downplay that. So, you know, they say that art imitates mm -hmm. life, right? Mm -hmm. So being Mary Jane is about you. Yeah, uh, they say it is. Oh, they, they who, so, who, so who is they that, that, that say it is? The creator? <laughs> the uh, uh, Mara Brockakil, who is brilliant, brilliant, um, director, writer, creative, followed me for, I think, a couple of weeks. And I was very transparent and vulnerable with her. Just at that time, I wasn't married. I didn't have my son. But about the job and what it takes and the juggling of your personal life and the expectations. So it is, I, yes. Because I've seen, I've seen a few of them shows now. I've seen now, the sex scenes. That's not me. Okay, but I said, oh, okay, I'm just, I yeah, know what I'm you're getting at. I was just about to say, like, I don't know. I, like, you said you were open and vulnerable. Do like, I, I have water? Does anybody have anything? No one gave me anything to drink. Yeah, yeah. Happy dad, yeah. go, 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 go on. Yeah, you know, because when you research and you're going to build a show out mm. about a person, you want to be extremely accurate. Yeah. Right? And someone is talented. Give me a you, scene you know, that you're talking about. Well, so... Um, <laughs> no, don't give me a second. Okay, I'm about to say, oh, no, hey. no. That was that, that, no, was that no, look. No, hey. no, no, no. Yeah, I was about to go. I was like, this cut, is more Channing's world. Cut, than, cut, than, cut, than, cut, than, cut. Than my, But I love the fact that earlier, you know, um, you mentioned, you said the word cocky, mm -hmm. right? And you also mentioned petty, mm -hmm. right? Which I think are sometimes things that are negatively used to oh. describe people. Mm -hmm. But in your case, right, 
cocky to me is just the confidence and understanding who I am, mm -hmm. what I bring, and how hard I will work. And petty is not, oh, I'm going to be petty and do immature things. Yeah. It's that when I hear I can't or when I'm not given the helping hand I think I should receive, that I'm still going to make it. And you'll see in yeah. the end that I'll work. What is it about you, though? Because you mentioned opportunity as well. What is it about you that's allowed you to capitalize mm. on the opportunities you were given? I think it's a lot. You know, to your point about cocky, um, when I first left that show and I, uh, my first the first person who wanted to do this talk show with me was Harvey Weinstein. Okay. We know Harvey Weinstein mm -hmm. is in prison uh, for assault and, mm -hmm. and heinous crimes. And this was prior to, like, I don't know, eight months before he was charged. Mm. I would be in rooms with him and I'd watch other male executives fawn over him and want his attention and want his ear and pitch their ideas while he was pitching me. And I'm sitting there at the time you know, like, okay, I accomplished some things. I had MSNBC's show. I had Deadline Crime and all these things. And I understood why they were trying to get Harvey's ear. But he would, every meeting, stop and say, we're not here about me. We're about her. And I would have to do my pitch. And even though I was on TV for 20 years, some of these people had never seen me. They could tell you every white female that they had a crush on, but they could never tell you what I'd done or accomplishments. And so I would honestly channel every hip hop artist I ever loved. I really would. And so I would go in like, well, I'm about to do this. What, what are you talking about? You know, and I, they didn't know me while I'm sitting like this all prim and proper and just all kinds of things are exploding in my head to muster the cockiness that women deserve to have and that we don't we talk amongst each other very cocky, but then we'll get in rooms and shrink down. And so I worked on that and it's been deliberate that I maintain the humility that I think is natural to me, but I can channel, as Beyonce said, her Sasha fears. You don't want to be in a meeting with me. You don't want to negotiate with me because I win every negotiation, every negotiation. <laughs> right. I had to find that. The petty part, um, why I am willing to so openly talk about the previous job experience and what happened to me there is so that maybe the people who made that decision won't do that again. It's less about me. It's more because maybe you bet on the other horse. Maybe the horse you think is on the, on, the, on the field or whatever, the winner, is not the winner. I've been the underdog my entire life. 19-year-old single mom. Grandfather was my first father. I know what it feels like to be the underdog. And we have to remind people in our pettiness, sometimes the underdog wins. And maybe you shouldn't look past that person and say what they cannot do because you don't know. And so that's why I call it out. Not because I, I know I won that. Even if the show wasn't a success, even if the Tamron Hall show was, I left with my dignity. I left there that day saying, I will never grovel for a job. I will figure it out. And so for me, I bring it up in hopes that another news director, another general manager, another person in the executive suite, they don't fall for what someone says is the star. They look for the person who is the star, not the anointing of someone. I wanted to ask you about Weinstein. Mm -hmm. Because my dad, Jerry Sandusky at Penn State, mm -hmm. that was like you say, heinous crimes. I covered that one. And my father played under Jerry Sandusky and then went back to Penn State after his NFL career and coached under him and would be on the road with him recruiting for months. And when the story came out, I had to call Pops and say, Daddy, this was your friend? Yeah. Like, was there ever a sign? Did you ever see anything that you would think this was happening in his basement and the whole story we, we, we've heard? Yeah. Like, 
was there anything you being that close to to, to Weinstein? Well, any any any? Well, that's the trick bag. I knew him four months. Oh. I knew him four months. He sent a note to my agent saying, "Why can't I get a meeting with Tamron Hall?" And my agents called me and said, "Harvey Weinstein wants to talk to you about meeting about this show." And I said, "Sure." And who wouldn't at the time, right? And I went, and I remember vividly coming in. He came out of a side room. My agents were there with me, and there was this big spread of food. And he's like, "I got this show idea," and he hit the tape. And he had done his research. He knew all the shows. He knew what he felt was my value in the marketplace. He presented my case to me. And to be honest with you, it was the first time I was in a meeting and I didn't have to pitch myself. He actually pitched the idea to me. I'd never been alone with Harvey. I'd heard that he was like a brute and you know a bully, and that's how you get things done in Hollywood. But none of those things that happened and clearly were true. I was never exposed to them. But as a woman, one of the unfair things that happened to me, I had people waiting outside my home asking me had I been a victim. I had people calling my phone all right. night long, not asking me like, how long did you know him or what was it? Like you thoughtfully asked. I had people saying, we heard something happened to you. What happened to you? And first of all, if something had happened to me, is that the way to approach me? Right. And second, I only knew the guy for four months. We knew a big stars that knew him for way longer. And so it was very, and I, I've never given this much detail to anyone, but I trust you guys and I'll tell you, it was very scary. And it was very hurtful because I thought, what do they want from me? And I don't know. And, and, and I refused for a long time to even answer questions about it because I said, you're trying to hold a woman accountable for a man's bad behavior. Go ask him. Right. Go, I didn't make a dollar with him. My show ended up being bought, thankfully, by a better partner. And I went in after, this is funny, as I, he got me in rooms and then he went to jail. And then I went back to those rooms and said, you got to meet with me now. You met with me with him. Right. <laughs> I mean, what are right. you saying? That's yeah. the only way I can get in the rooms. I kind of guilted some meetings. Yeah. I'm like, you met with him then. Right. So I got back in rooms, luck, but being prepared right. and being a little cocky and calling people out. So I got back in rooms and I repitched the show on my own. But it was very, um, it was very traumatic um, to have people want me to answer for someone that I didn't even know. With an experience like that, and then what happened afterwards with people questioning you, did you ever, did you ever question yourself or blame yourself and say to, your, say to yourself, how could I not know these things about someone I've met? Because I'm not a clairvoyant or a psychic. Yeah. I, none of us know it. Mm -hmm. Listen, one in four women are the victims of domestic violence and assault. Most women, my sister included, who uh, was murdered in her home by allegedly uh, someone in her life. Most times women are the victims of crimes. They know the perpetrator. It's many times a guy in their own home. So to say you would know something about someone, let alone a guy who I maybe, I think, oh gosh, I might have had five meetings total, six meetings total, and none of them alone. It would be impossible. I, I wish I had the power to walk through the streets of New York and say, put him behind bars, put him behind bars. Don't ever let him around your child. Don't ever let her. None of us have that ability. Right. How many times have we seen a headline and we know people and you say, 
oh my God, him, right. her, it's impossible. So I feel absolutely no guilt. I feel, I felt and I've let it go. Heartbreak that people would want me to answer for someone, even if I did know him, he did the crime, make him answer. So it's, you know, I have had many Tamron Hall conversations before you were ever going to come on the show. You talked to the TV? Uh, no, not, I said <laughs> conversations about Tamron Hall. How about that? I've never had one that didn't start this way. You know, the pretty black lady. Mm. Like you, you, you get that all the time. Mm. When, and you obviously know that you're a very attractive woman, when you are in these certain rooms or when you felt like you had to pitch yourself, is that something you use to your advantage or are you always trying to stiff arm that and say, I'm so much more than just a pretty black woman? It's a great question. If I have used it, it wasn't conscious. Um, I would hate to say no. I, I've never gone in the office batting my eyes. I've never gone in the office, um, let me put on this extra short skirt. I have, of course, like anybody, felt like, okay, I look good walking in here, but I never wanted a job because, and I don't think any woman does, to be honest with you, because it required me to do something I couldn't wake up with myself from. So no, I don't think I've used it. I've known, I think once, uh, this is a funny story, uh, Dallas Cowboys, Jerry Jones had just fired Jimmy and they didn't really let um, news people, women, they, they only let sports guys and whatnot. And I ended up in there and I knew and amongst the men, my voice would stand out because I was a singular female voice. And so I'm like, jam it, jam it, you know, because I knew and I remember everyone kind of staring at me. And I'm, at the time I was 26 or whatever. So obviously I know there's a room full of guys. I'm not right. stupid, right. but I didn't go like, hello, jam it, you know. <laughs> right. No, but I knew I probably would be identified more easily through my voice. Anyway, he didn't answer my question, but luck in life. I went around the back, some back door looking for my camera guy because I got lost because I'd never been on their facility in their compound. And Jimmy walked out of a back door. And I was like, Mr. Jones, hi. <laughs> what happened with you? And he's like, I said, where are you going next? He said, I'm going fishing. And I got the only sound bite from uh, Jimmy after he was fired. I imagine if it was a guy that was at that door, he'd be like, get out of here. Right. But it was a woman and I'm sure it was disarming to him. Right. So I, I don't necessarily uh, agree with all cowboy fans. I'm sorry, who are you? My name is Fred Taylor. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to ask you, are you a cowboy fan? Am I? Yeah. I have the state of Texas tattooed with the Dallas Cowboys symbol. Of course I am. No way. Why would you say that they're obnoxious. They're, they still live in the 90s. Our producer, she's one of them. You, you should probably stop saying they because it's she lives I in the nineties as well. Have to get another well. sip of water. Please do, please do. <laughs> Are you proud of that? This hate that permeates through you. No, it's not hate. Have at you gone all. to therapy about it? What's going I, on? I, I do take. I do go to therapy. What happened? Give me your hand. What happened? You know, um, I. It's I, one uh, of the greatest. You wouldn't have modern NFL football were it not for this dynasty. Huh? He. See, that's what I'm talking about when I say delusional. I'm like, how do you get your guy? How do you how do you give the Cowboys the entire modern era of football you when for the last like quarter such a century, smart man. you guys have not even been a part of the championship conversation? I mean, you haven't made it out of the wild card round in about 25, it, 30 years. Well, it's, they it's made it out. They made it out one time because well, they didn't dare call the it the division round. Yeah, so you've been struggling for a while. Let's just say they've had less success 
in their field than you have in yours in the last 25 years. Are you done or are you finished? Damn, damn, I'm on on your side. Thank you, darling. The Cowboys didn't create football now. (laughs) No, they did not. Okay, let me, okay, follow me here. They created the modern money-making formula that the NFL lives on today. Jerry Jones, by the way, when there's a new team, you know who they call to help build the infrastructure to set up the team? Jerry Jones. It's a business, yes, and he created the modern business structure that changed the NFL, that turned it into what we see today, which also made it important in political discourse, mm-hmm. in all kinds of social dialogue. He created that. He, my God, he created a stadium with a hole so that God could see his favorite team play. <laughs> if that's not genius, I don't know what is. See, so since, since you expounded on the whole entire question, right, you get a pass. Because oh, not, not, not all Cowboy fans will respond accordingly. So for that, it's let, like Manchester let's, United was for for their football. Crazy. There would be no NFL without Look, the Dallas Cowboys. She is not. She she basically said it doesn't matter if they ever field doesn't a matter. good football team because they make money. Yes. I mean, but that's because they're selling tickets to delusional fans. Who make a lot of money? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm hard on the fans, but uh, I, no, I do. I respect their business model. I mean, listen, you've created this phenomenal, much talked about podcast in a sea of podcasts. You've broken through by being savvy. That's what he did by being smart, by knowing your value, by beating those who think they know the game more, and you turned it into what you said at the beginning: subscribe. You have there are names that have been doing this a long time that you usurp. You swept up those people because you were smart businessmen. You knew, as anybody else, come in and talk to three black men, they're gonna be uh, You changed the whole game with the podcast and how you present yourself. That's what he did. He presented the NFL and the players in a different way. Tom Landry with the hat, everything. It's what you see, it's what you hear, and it's what you wanna be a part of. And that's what you guys have done. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DEFENSE to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code DEFENSE only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NFL. Well, let's pivot real quick then. Get, get You're back welcome. To today, right? <laughs> she educated you, us a little bit. Right, for sure. <laughs> yeah, she's you know, give it to her. And you hey, talk Tam, about... school them, Tam. Wow, because you on the show, you get the fistball. Get out of here. But wow. no, you spoke Y'all about uh, Jerry putting a hole in the stadium so you God. know God can watch the guy. Yeah. He can sign, See shine a light team. on it. You know, I want to fast forward and um, you know, for years you've been building your brand by yourself. Well, you've had your no, team, no, but yeah. without yeah. you know, I know you outside family. But now you, you, your sunshine, mm. your son. My baby. How has that changed? Oh gosh, I love. We, I mean, we talk. I. He's my favorite guy. I, that's why, and I tell everybody, I was late. I'm so embarrassed. And I'm a stickler, stickler for being on time because another thing is black people were always late. Black women are always late. So I, I really take time and, and I value it. I value the time of other people. But I needed to run and pick my son up from school and then drop him off and then make it here. But um, it was life-changing. I was a mom at 48. I just turned 52. Um, I love him so dearly. I'm so fascinated by what he will become. 
I am happy to pour into him the things that I've learned, the things that I've loved. The, I, we went to Italy this year. It was my dream. I remember when I was single and I was in Paris in a beautiful hotel once and I'm lying in bed and all I could think about was one day, will I be able to share this with a child? Mm. And as amazing as that trip was and as beautiful, there was something missing for me, not for everybody, not for every woman. It was missing for me. So the pandemic happened and we really couldn't travel. And then we were able to take my son for 14 days to Italy and to watch your child, you know, run across the Tuscan sun. I was like, I've made it. <laughs> Every daggone bad thing that's happened. Look at him in his Gucci sandals. <laughs> you know, that is what it's all about for me. And I love that I had a son. I initially said I didn't want a son, which is, I'm just being honest. I was like, I don't want a son. Their clothes are terrible. I mean, they just wear sneakers and t-shirts all day. Did you cry when you found out? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> I, I didn't cry. You said Google. I did. I did. I cried. I know, and I hate that I reveal that because my son will one day hear this. But the story was, I was in shock. When you go through IVF that you can, there is a way to pick the gender. And I said, nope, I've done enough science. I'll leave this to the universe and God. And then I learned with my husband that it was a boy. And I was like, no, a boy. I was like, I got to teach him to pee pee standing up. And they smell and their sneakers stink. And I just, all these bad things about boys rushed through my mind. And I thought, I thought my daughter would have a matching dress like this. You know, women, we go through that. Like all we see is ourself. Right. Just as I'm sure men with their boys, you see yourself. And then um, I learned he's a boy and he came home and I could never have imagined, I can't imagine my life with a, with a daughter now. Wow, that's awesome. Now, I love my son. I want him to, whomever is his partner, whatever he decides in his life, I just hope that he sees how much his mom enjoyed her life and how happy, he'll hear the stories about this or that and that, but I do, I want him to say, I had a happy mom and she was awesome. And he pours that into his life and his journey. But I love him, he's so cute. Have you seen that kid? You seen that hair? Yeah. Cute kid. I know, I know your husband said he was gonna tell him when he got a little older yeah, though. Yeah, my, well he may not be my husband by that time if he does that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, my husband's my best friend. No, no, no. No, 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 I want to ask Oh my, okay. Yeah. Is Steven here? Oh God, I was no, like, if no, somebody's no. got a show where you surprise me with their spouse. I was like, I'll pass it, because he was leaving when I was leaving. Super successful. Like RC brought a beautiful woman. We can all see it. Just well spoken. Like, how, how do you shoot? I know, uh, I know what the dude was using was shooting at you. Whoa, why yeah. was his shot better than the other guy's shot? <laughs> he <laughs> shot it like Steph. That's yeah, why. I was like, man, what is he doing? He's corny. shooting from 48? He was corny. Really? Uh, That's what you like. No, my, my, it's square. He's not corny. He's not corny. He's actually, <laughs> he's really not. You know what she no, was going. My, my, oh, uh, my husband uh, was the executive producer of the Bernie Mac show. Uh, he represents a lot of artists. He's very, very um, well-rounded from the Bronx. Um, but I just, I, he was representing an artist and he came up to me and he said, hey, uh, this artist is a fan of yours and has invited you to come to their home. And I'm like, I'm not going to anybody's home, and, you know? And I was like, is he trying to represent me too? Anyway, I gave him my business number. We kept running into each other, and every time we'd run into each other, he said, oh gosh, I called you, but you didn't answer. I was like, oh no, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I didn't give him my, my bat phone, as we call it. I gave him another phone. 
Anyway, I kept running into him, running into him. My husband is five feet tall. And I'm in like wire glasses. He's a classic New York Jewish kid. And he's like asking me, like I want to represent. He's asking me things, but it all sounds like, can I represent you? And I kept blowing him off. True story. I lost my job. I was on an airplane. And a guy that I had been seeing that I broke it off with is on the plane. Now, when we break it off, we expect you to stay single for 500 years. He was there with a Russian model in first class behind me. And I'm like, oh my God. And he's there, he's back there. And I hear them talking and giggling. And I'm like, dear God, this can't be happening. What more can I? And I broke up with him, but I wanted him to be sad in the right. corner. You want, miserable. Want him to be fighting over you still. Yes, I wanted him to be miserable in therapy. Like, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? And he was behind me. And um, I saw my husband, Steven. And I was like, OK, great. I can chit chat with Steven as a decoy. I'm talking to Steven, and we're walking, and we get off the plane. We're going to the Grammy party. He's like, oh, you should come to my company's party. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But just keep talking to me. Keep me from looking back at Glamazon and my ex-man. <laughs> and so I walk on, and I get in my car. I go about my way, and I don't talk to Steven again. I was having a pity party because the deal with Harvey wasn't going well. He hadn't paid me yet, and some of these things about him were starting to bubble up. And I was in the hotel uh, that I wasn't supposed to be staying in. And I was like crying my eyes out, like, what is happening to my life? I should be having a better, ex you know, this God, what did you do to me? And I went to the pool after I threw myself a pity party. I went to the pool and I ran into Stephen. And he sat down near me and he started talking, what are you doing here? Na, na, na. And I had a swimsuit on. And I remember reaching for my cover and trying to cover myself up because I'm not a nudist. And I started pulling my clothes down. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm Muslim. I can't let you see me like this. I'm not Muslim. I'm just trying to like cover myself up. Anyway, long story short, uh, he shot his shot by asking me a very pivotal question that you should always ask if you're a single man. What's your favorite pizza? Mm, pizza? Pizza. And I said, I know good pizza. He said, no, I know better pizza. He asked me out on a simple date of pizza. It wasn't Let's go here, let's boop bop, let's get this. He said, let's go out for some pizza. Okay. And we moved in like two weeks, three weeks later. What pizza? Kind of, what kind of pizza that was? That was the that's, best pizza in the history. That's a real slice. You guys talk about that he knows this story? Yeah. He knows the pity on the plane. Oh, the... he knows the whole thing. We don't hold back. He might not know the other part. Hey, Freddie, here's the thing, though. A win is a win. Mm -hmm. A win is a win. Let me try it. Oh, gosh. Let me see. Because you know my wife. Yes, you know my I wife, love right? your wife. This is my game. The pizza thing is good, but this is my game. Hey, you know, you seen James? You seen James? Who's James? I don't know. I thought you knew James. Hi, what's your name again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> You got her. You, Listen, you want a beautiful woman, so I'll give yeah, you that. You she's smart and she's, yes. I, it's simple. People always think it's the, I, I have, I've been fortunate enough to date just about everybody I wanted to date. And I've had wonderful dating. I always tell people it wasn't, there was nothing wrong with them, nothing wrong with me. Sometimes it's timing. Mm -hmm. And so most of the relationships in my past, I'm still friends with. 95% of my exes, I'm still friends with. They said, to, my husband hates it. I, he's like, why is he calling you for advice? You, you guys are together. I'm like, why not? So it's a big, uh, a big battle we have over my exes calling to check in. And I know the ones that are checking in. Mm, yeah. Now, but I know the difference. But one, once, a, once a man knows that you done bumped uglies with another man, he bumped doesn't want. Ugly? That's what I call. <laughs> 
That's you know, the nicest you've ever said it. You it really respect Taylor. Listen, Thank you. I'm, I love him. Listen, Taylor, I love Taylor. I love really you. I, was on the show. I love I you. He's amazing. You wait till you see the episode. It's gonna. Just, but it's yeah, I'll, I'll let you, I'm on Steven's side. I don't want. I, I see. Don't want I don't. Around, dudes, you don't bump the ugliest wish before. But but that's in, that's implying that I can't handle myself, and I can handle myself. I mean, my ex. I have one that recently called me. And he's like, oh, because I, I dyed my hair white, well, changed my hair blonde, I wore this wig for it. And he was like, you look hot in the blonde hair. I knew that wasn't appropriate. Mm -hmm. I could tell that, you know, he's like, uh, but I had another recently call and he's like, hey, um, if you're around, let's grab coffee, something, something, something. I don't, I won't go for coffee. And, and they ask, for it, but I will talk on the phone. And one of them uh, is very funny. Uh, and we have this kind of banter over sports. He hates the Cowboys. So he'll call me about sports or whatever. But I won't go out for coffee. I won't go out for drinks. Um, I I don't really want to talk about the past, right? We don't want to relitigate the past. So I have boundaries. Yeah. But my husband thinks it's all off limits. So I I just, it, it's a bad, it's a sore subject with him. Yeah. It is. And he goes, well, what if I talk to my, I'm like, okay, as long as you're not meeting up at the Chateau Marmont in the lobby, I don't care. <laughs> But I think it's fine, and I'm happy, and I think it's a good sign that most of my exes, not all, but most think that I'm a good person. And some, I'm somebody they want to know and still know. I think that's a good thing. So, you know, we often ask on this show, uh, what was your biggest pivot? And it seems like mm. you've had so much happen in your life that's led you to this point. And yeah. I think it's huge to me that the name of your show is your actual name. Uh, right now, it, it, it's not very often that that happens. A lot of times you're doing this great work and you're being seen and you're being visible, but you're being visible under someone else's name. Mm. You've made it to a point to where now you are representing you, but not just yourself. What do you feel is your biggest pivot or the moment that led you to where we are now? Learning that I'm a businesswoman. I had to pivot out of just being a journalist and pivoting into a businesswoman and a brand. You know, we're not raised to think of ourselves as brands, but we are. And that was the biggest pivot. Like the show was the pivot because my back was against the wall and I needed to work, honestly. And I didn't want to work in that environment again of that news organization. But my biggest pivot has been the business side of this is, like I said, the, I just sold a cookbook. I just sold a children's book. Um, I finished my crime novel. I'm working on a documentary on teenagers and mental health. I see myself as a business which is foreign for us to do. And that's what I want to pass on to the next generation of broadcasters. Whatever venue you're in, sports, entertainment, whatever, you got to think of yourself as a business. And that's how you get the longevity. Uh, when I was starting out, Robin, uh, Robin Robinson, who's a local news anchor in Chicago, not Robin Roberts from GMA, Robin Robinson, and she said to me, either you quit this business or it quits you. And that's what the advice was of her generation. Now the advice is make yourself a brand so that you're not tied to one thing. And that'll give you the longevity Jay-Z talks about. And you hear this kind of branding conversation. It's in the zeitgeist, as they say. But for me, the biggest pivot was saying, how do I do it? And then doing it. And so I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud that I've been working on a lot of other projects to diversify, because I do want to make money in my sleep. Right. And it's OK to say that. It's OK to talk openly about money. And so often we don't. It's kind of just in the you know, other people talk about it, but we should aspire to make money in our sleep. And that means you've created things that are of a value in the marketplace that you don't have to get up every day and deal with, that you have a brand. So that's my pivot. Well, I mean, we obviously knew that this show, and tell Asia, don't make fun of me for saying obviously, 
because I know she does. So that's <laughs> obviously. Uh, obviously. Uh, we knew this show would be amazing because you get to sit down with some people that carry the show for you. And people don't give you a show with, with your own name mm. if you aren't excellent. Oh, and it's a production now. Oh, it's a production. They got they got a staff back there. We got snacks. There. We give. Oh, they got snacks. I haven't. What? We have snacks. We don't have no snacks. We got Happy Dad, but we don't have no snacks. Oh, we got to hold ourselves. Happy Dad. Oh my God. I got snacks. I get water. I don't even know if it's filtered. I mean, wow, we bougie now. From Lula, Texas, we gonna be bougie, and all we drink I'm is filtered water. <laughs> They got refrigerators everywhere. <laughs> right. But but thank you. Thank you so much for, you. for sitting down with us. Four or three former football players who do a podcast. And what you said is a very saturated market. It means a lot to us that, that you took time out of the day. Well, I'm very proud of you guys. And I thank don't you. say that lightly because I know how hard it is to break into the room and own the room. And you're owning it. So cheers with my unfiltered water. <laughs> they got happy, we got, I don't have a happy dad. But hey. <laughs> it's <vegan. laughs> And again, guys, listen, it's October. Uh, the pivot is still, which it's the pivot to pink. Uh, we're supporting breast cancer and breast cancer awareness. Uh, continue to make sure if you have somebody fight, that's fighting or if you know of any of these breast cancer warriors and the things that they've been to, continue to support them and support the families uh, that have to take care of them during their battles. But for us, this is it. The pivot is pleased. And as Channing always says, the pivot is happy. <laughs> the pivot's happy. The pivot is happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. happy. I'm happy. So when, 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 but when is Channing's show coming out? It had so much editing we had to do. Oh, boy. I have the date. It was, listen, it is and will be one of the most unforgettable episodes of the Tamron Hall Show. And here's a tease, he cries. Hey, hey, Whoa. I cried. You cried? She, she cried. She's, such a, she's so great. And then as you, she saw the emotion, she just kept digging. <laughs> you know, your homeboy's gonna let you go when you start breathing hard. Tam was like, no. He cried. Oh, we were feel. all. He cried. Leaned into me. I, I, I she made you feel comfortable. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> he gave us the lip quiver and everything. It was amazing. Wow. Well, we yeah. can't. We can't wait to I see. I can't it. wait. And I know it's going to be excellent. Uh, thank you. Thank so you much. guys. Yeah. Thank you. You yeah. big cry baby. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Got my people feeling militant, way I'm feeling got me up, uh, on a mission got me up, uh, knowing me I got the key, uh, on the vision I can trust, uh, trust, uh, limitless, take a stomach count, pinning it, I fought the head to witness it, got my people feeling militant, way I'm feeling